0: DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 the zone. We're joined now by Brett Ciancia from Pick Six Previews. He joins us on the Sprint Special Guest Line. Sprint makes it safe and easy to get what you need online. Visit sprint.com for online services and local store availability.
1: Brett, good morning. Yeah, DJ and PK, thanks for having me back on. I'm excited to talk to BYU.
0: You've got the Utes and the Cougar previews out. It looks like you got the Utes. It's the 27th, BYU at 39. And uh, we'll get to the Utes here in just a second. You write some interesting stuff and recap what you've thought of them over the last two years. Uh, But let's start with the Cougars. Kind of hard to figure out playing as an independent, this uh, mix of Power 5 and non-AQ schools. But you have them down as basically a middle-of-the-pack Power 5 team. How did you come up with that?
1: Yeah, exactly. So this year, um, I added BYU to my Power Five preview book. I mean, they have, certainly have the history for it. Uh, their schedule is kind of a mix, of, like you said, between Power Five and non-AQ. Uh, and hey, you guys, BYU has a passionate enough fan base to deserve a spot. So I added them to the book. Uh, it was fascinating, you know, really digging in. I always had a passing knowledge of BYU, but really digging into their history, all the way back to Lavelle Edwards and, and the you know the quarterback factory and all that. Uh, but Specifically for the last couple years, uh, I I applied my game grader formula. You know, that's a a deep formula I created. It's a lot of uh, scoring differential, yardage differential, uh, per-play metrics, explosiveness. um, You know, it goes deeper than the normal box score. And long story short, uh, BOU grades out middle of the pack, power five. Last year they were 39th out of 66. Um, And in terms of the pack 12, that would be right around 6th out of 12 last year. So, um, and it, and it kind of makes sense when you think about it. What, what they produced on the field—they're um, above average against the non-AQ teams, and a little bit below average against the Power Five. They're uh, 17 and 27 against the Power Five since going independent. So, um, so yeah, they were 39th last year, and uh, looking for another actually bump this year.
2: So, from your perspective, what do you like about the Cougars?
1: Yeah, so a couple things. Uh, coming into last year, I thought that would be the, the jump offensively. You know, you returned Zach Wilson, uh, re- returned a lot of production offensively. I thought that would be the jump. They did improve in 13 of 14 of my metrics, um, but really it wasn't the program-changing offense we thought we'd see. So I think this year you might see that 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 game ch- that program-changing offense. Um, third year with Zach Wilson. But really what I'm most impressed about is that offensive line um and and that's coming off of a very injured you know injury riddled season there it still ended up being one of the best units having to go through 16 different line combos um you know all that all that said it's all back and healthy and uh should be a veteran and strong unit so i think um you know with the strong run push uh brady Christensen's a star left tackle you have him back um you know a, a trio of running backs with experience, Matt Bushman back. There's a lot of pieces to like, and I think the offense will be carrying BIU this year. In Bushman,
0: do you think they have an NFL tight end, or if not, do you think they at least have a tight end who's a mismatch in most games?
1: Definitely mismatch, and we'll see about NFL. I mean, it's very rare for a tight end to lead the team in receiving, not just once, but three straight years. Uh, probably will take it a fourth straight year this year. Uh, part of that, I think, is by scheme design, just how BYU spreads the ball around so much to their receivers. Uh, it's it spread you know, pretty thin across, say, 10 or 12 receivers, and that's not a bad thing. It's just um, you're getting a lot more receivers involved than most rosters. You just have three or four guys out there on every snap, so a little bit of that, but no, he's a game-changer. Um, I think you lean on him over the middle, and uh, I think BYU takes a step forward offensively.
2: Yeah, I think in order for them to take that step forward offensively, Zach Wilson has really got to come up big. You know, he's shown flashes of being really good, and he's had some injury issues that he's had to battle. But in my mind, he's set up to have a pretty good season. And if he can deliver on that, then the Cougars should be uh, not just fighting for bowl eligibility. They should be a little bit more than that. Do you see it differently or the same?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, within BYU specifically, yeah, Wilson, he, he definitely showed some bright spots. I remember back in eighteen with the the perfect bowl game, um, then, but then you know it's been ups and downs because even against against Utah, the one year he built that twenty seven to seven lead, couldn't finish it off. Uh, you saw it at times last year. I mean, he's definitely a playmaker. He's elusive in the pocket, uh, but just got to get over the hump and finish off some of these games but in terms of bowl eligibility that's certainly up in the air not because of anything BYU related just because of all the cancellations um just looking at it quickly the first four games are already canceled for BYU and that's a factor of the Big Ten um, and the Pac-12 secluding themselves to going just uh conference only so those four weeks are up for grabs um I mean if you're looking at it as as wins and losses they're they've got to be easier opponents than what you would have faced at the power five level. So, uh, it should be more W's coming in, albeit less, you know, power five wins
0: defensively when they face teams that throw the ball, what do you think of the pass rush? And what do you think of the secondary?
1: Yeah, well, pass rush, this was something I was pretty fascinated with because, um, and I didn't just dig into 19 and 18, I went back, you know, 10, 15 years of my numbers And uh, and it it kind of matches what you what you'd watch. It it used to be a very aggressive, um, you know, blitz-heavy scheme under uh, Bronco Mendenhall. Uh, Think of Kyle Van Noy up there, third in the nation in sacks back in 2012. And uh, they averaged, they were always a top 25 in tackles for loss and sacks as a unit. Uh, You know, they 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 flew to the ball and they tackled well. Um, That hasn't really been the same over the four years of uh, the Satake era Um, in terms of my explosiveness you know in the plays making plays in the backfield my negative play rate uh they average number 100 in the same category which was once a top 25 so i know that's not everything to a defense but certainly it looks different uh so i think though yeah so you know with a four-two-five base scheme uh, a lot of linebackers back um and again just like the offense there is returning production so i think you'll see the numbers move up a little bit but really to make that next step into, into becoming a top 25 program year in and year out again. I think the defense has to return to the, the Mendenhall levels.
2: Uh, Pac-12, you've got Oregon. Not only do you have them, obviously, as the top team, but you've got them in the playoff and I'm wondering, uh, you know, they've, they're have they loaded on defense, defensive backfield, and Thibodeau, I think, is probably the best player in the Pac-12. That's just my opinion. So they certainly have a lot in Verdell on offense and, and obviously Sewell up front in the line, uh, at the line. But they got a new quarterback. Uh, and, you know, he played a little bit last year behind Herbert. What are your concerns there?
1: Yeah, the concerns are probably you know, replacing quarterback and replacing four offensive linemen. Uh, you touched on it really what led me to Oregon as a playoff pick, and the Pac-12 winner is the defense. I mean, it was top five last year. They returned 10 of 11 starters, and that one spot is actually being filled now by not just one, but two five-star prospects coming in a linebacker. So uh, what you're seeing at a program level is finally the first time since the 1990s a program in the Pac-12 is passing USC uh, in the five-year recruiting ranks. Uh, it's Oregon. And uh, and further, it's not just the, the Chip Kelly know, speedy, gadget offense that comes up small in the big games. This is built in the trenches. This is trench first. This is offensive line and defensive line first. Mario Cristobal, a line guru, uh, building it from the inside out. So, yeah, you lose four uh, linemen there, but the four four guys stepping into those shoes were higher-rated recruits coming in. Um, I know recruiting, you know, the recruiting rankings aren't everything, but with a proven staff and developer like this, I'm pretty confident. And lastly, real quick, a quarterback, uh, yes, yeah, Tyler Shuck coming in. He, he was behind Herbert last year. He kind of impressed at times in fall camp, but obviously behind Herbert, you're not going to play. So staff likes him. They also brought in Anthony Brown, a two, two and a half or three year starter from Boston College. Uh, nine, and not to mention the best offensive coordinator hire of the cycle with Joe Moorhead. So I'm pretty confident. Um, and I mean, I, this wasn't in factored into the book logic back in May and June, but, now, with Ohio State off the schedule, this is looking like a, uh, a possible undefeated season.
0: So, how big is the gap? How wide is the margin between Oregon and the rest of the conference?
1: Yeah, that's what kind of led me to the pick because when I wrote this thing, I, I had assumed Ohio State was going to remain on the schedule. This was, you know, that was stacked into the logic. I kind of had Ohio State winning that. So, I said, all right, even if Oregon drops the Ohio State game in September. Are they strong enough to go 9-0 and in, in the Pac-12 and, and, you know, run the conference? And this year I think that they are. Um, a couple things led me to that. I mean, some of the usual Pac-12 teams that are up there fighting for 8, 9, 10 wins are going through transitions. Uh, Stanford's down again. Washington State loses Mike Leach uh, in an offseason that's very short to, to install a new offense. Uh, those two are down. Washington really has struggled offensively. Utah goes through a major roster change, and we'll touch on that. Um and then the last bet on Oregon is that their three hardest conference teams—they all, they're all in Austin Stadium. They're all at home, so great schedule boost there. And uh, yeah, I think the gap this year is wide enough for them to potentially go. Now no, you never see that in the Pac-12. You see these teams beat up each other pretty well, uh, and that's a testament to the depth of the conference. But uh, this year, I do think that we're going to distance themselves.
2: I like how you have Utah second behind SC. I think most folks look at SC as the number one team in the South. And you have the Utes second. The thing that I find interesting is you respect them to the point where you've got them second, which is pretty good given the fact of all the losses they have, but you've only got on your first-team offensive defense, you only got one Ute, and that's Keithy at tight end, who really had a breakout season, and I'm excited to see what he can do with Ludwig in his second year under Andy, because Andy sure put him in position to succeed at a high level this past season. So, even though you've only got one out of uh, your uh, first-team offense, first-team defense Ute, why are you giving them as much respect as you're giving them?
1: Yeah, well, I think it starts with coaching. Uh, Now, it's You might be tired of hearing this, but this is definitely an unprecedented off-season, cutting out the 15 spring practices, all the summer camps and workouts. Uh, Now it's even looking like a shortened fall season. So uh, what usually goes into my my prediction logic is obviously my advanced stats, but then also a ton of film study, uh, calls with coaches, calls with coordinators, spring games. And that last bit, spring games, has been cut out, obviously. So without that tool, I've had to rely a little bit more on Coach continuity and and staff continuity and scheme continuity because there is some truth to that rolling over year over year Uh, and who better than Utah's defense at that Um, they're actually number one in my player development metric which looks at the raw recruiting rankings compared to what they produce to the pros Uh, it's amazing just a decade ago we're talking about a Mountain West program and now they're leading the conference in draft picks yeah that's Utah so um, yeah it'll be an extremely young offense or uh, sorry an extremely young defense. Uh, this is a unit that definitely would have loved the spring ball. Uh, but a, enough of a proven track record with, with, with Morgan Scalley and their entire staff offensively that I think they'll produce a competent defense. Now, offensively, you touched on the two guys that made the first two teams. There's also three more youths on my third team, Pac-12. So you have over half the offense there uh, accounted for on the all-conference teams. Uh, it's, it's star power um, at, at the receiver core and tight end, which I never thought would be true with Utah. Uh, You know, even three or four or five years ago, that was a roster hole at receiver. So a lot of playmakers now, they can go three or four deep there. Um, And I think that they're poised to to weather the storm of the transition, uh, you know, from Huntley and Moss better than they used to be with uh, now with Andy Lovell again. Um, I run these 10-year coordinator grades on offense and defense, and looking statistically at his impact at Utah last year, and also his impact from leaving Vanderbilt is also as fascinating. They, he had them pretty solid, and they tanked without him. You can learn a lot from the coach where he's at and where he left. And uh, Andy Ludwig was one of the best coordinator hires of the year last year.
0: So when you look at the Utes going forward and you uh, look at them reloading on defense, how long does that take?
1: Yeah, so I think uh, the front seven will be okay. It's It's the secondary that's very young. And that's not to say that they'll that they have star players there. I just think that the extreme extreme youth, uh, without a spring ball and without most of the summer, is going to be tough. It's it's not uh, it's not rocket science there. But uh, yeah, you lose all four starters, uh, and then making things worse, they had um, R.J. Hubert was the next guy in line, the next potential star, and he uh, tore his ACL in the Pac-12 title game, and uh, he's going to be out for a significant time. So extremely young there. I know they add uh, Clark Phillips was their highest recruit ever uh, That's a top 40 kid it was originally an Ohio State commit um but again that that's a true freshman without a spring so it's going to be tough in the back um but up front I mean hey they re- you, you guys know this they reload defensive line every year um this will be no different you got Mika to back uh Max Depay these are guys that were in the rotation um you know they they rotate eight guys deep on defensive line so uh, yeah, it'll be young, um, but I, I trust this this staff more than most. So, uh, you know, I'm not looking for a complete uh, collapse. I think it will be a, a step back. How could it not be from last year, which is could be the best defense in Utah history? Um, but it, it won't be a uh, it won't be a collapse here.
2: You talk about Utah number one player development in the conference, and you got them pretty high nationally too, don't you?
1: Yeah, they are actually number one nationally in my player development metric. Uh, they're number six in wing conversion. And, and, you know, these aren't um, – most people just talk about the recruiting, and I know it's important. Uh, can the recruiting people miss on one prospect here and there? Sure, but I think when you start to stack 20 players in a class and then five classes in a row, you're talking 85 scholarship players. I think they're more right than wrong. But that's just the starting point. You need to be able to, to recruit towards your scheme. You've got to be able to install the scheme and, um, you know, how these players hit the weight room and the strength and conditioning programs and the whole bit? Uh, so what? The, what these metrics look at is taking that recruiting number a step forward, and you know because a lot happens obviously on those three and four and five years on campus. So how is the staff producing those raw talents and, and on February signing day into NFL draft picks in April? How are they uh, developing that in, onto wins on the field in the fall? Uh, so I, I wanted to find a way numerically to look at some of these buzzwords and. Um, and yeah, Utah, as you'd expect, just like the Wisconsins and Iowas uh, of the country, who maybe not maybe don't recruit as highly as their peers on signing day, they outgrind them on the field. They're physical. They win games more than their more than their signing day you know peers. So Utah is definitely in that category, and that that should pop off the page in the book.
0: So how big is the gap between USC? I mean, you got to rank somebody one, somebody two, somebody three. And how big is the gap between USC and the rest of the division, especially Utah at second?
1: I think it's, it's decent. I mean, it's definitely noticeable. I have USC 17th overall, uh, and then Utah and Arizona State just outside the top 25. So you have a ranked team there. I think what really stood out to me is how much they return on offense. Um, the way that Graham Harrell was able to come in there overnight, and this was a coach that I got to talk to in the preseason. It was fascinating how – how quickly he brought um, you know his, his air raid attack in. Of course, this is the quarterback from Texas Tech ten years ago, um, and uh, yeah, he came in to tailback you as it was once known and, and turn this thing into an offensive juggernaut. So all those receivers are back except for Michael Pittman, but I mean you have four four All American caliber guys at receiver. Keaton Slovis did this as a true freshman last year, so I think the offense will remain possibly the best in the conference. Uh, defensively, and this is the issue with USC every year as a you know as a preseason prognosticator uh you know trying to relate their recruiting rankings like i said um onto the field because they always recruit at the top i mean they're always up there um but they they struggle getting it you know producing wins and producing stats out of it so the, the, the issue will be defense uh the raw talent's there they brought in Todd Orlando from Texas, defensive coordinator. He had some ups and downs there, um, but you know how quickly will they be able to, to maximize the talent on defense? It happened overnight on offense. Uh, can they do it on defense? But uh, with that uncertainty, I have them outside of the top ten, but high enough to win the conference or high enough to win the division because of that offense.
2: Sometimes there's a sleeper in the Pac-12, not always, but sometimes. And if I were to ask you, who would you look to as far as this year being a sleeper? Who would you pick?
1: Well, I guess sleeper's is a tough term. At Washington, I have um, you know number sixteen overall, a second in the north. Um, I really put this in the book though they're they're an offensive coordinator away from being a playoff team every year and like a playoff caliber, you know, fighting for a playoff spot every year. I mean, their defense, um, as you guys know, I mean they're they're trotting out top five units every single season. Uh, and going through this coaching change, they promote Jimmy Lake, that defensive genius, up the head coach. So they retain that defensive backbone there. It's just a matter of can they get this offense working? It's been brutal the last two years, um, ever since Jonathan Smith took over at Oregon State. So, I mean, if they can, if they can turn out a dynamic offense, uh, and start putting up 35, 40 a game, this would be a very complete program. Um, so I don't know if that's for 2020 sleeper or just in general going forward, but they get that offense woken up and, uh, that, that's a great program. Uh, another quick sleeper could be Arizona State. Uh, I see them in the top twenty-five of a lot of, pro, of a lot of uh, publications. They're right there for me as well. Um, you know, I think that Herm Edwards. Remember back to when he was signed. Uh, you know, all the all the Twitter people ran over to Twitter and started joking about that hire. I like to wait and, and look back two, or three, or four years later, put my game grader formula on it, and see how they really did. And he's doing awesome down there. I mean, it, it was a great hire. Uh, at the same time, everyone crowned Chip Kelly the hire of the cycle, and look at that collapse. So. Uh, yeah, fast forward to 2020. It's his third year here. Jaden Daniels is an excellent quarterback. He showed that as a freshman last year. Uh, a lot of late game drives and wins, very clutch. Uh, the, the the issue with Arizona State will be a double uh, a double coordinator switch in a short offseason. They're uh, they're scrapping a 3-3-5 defense scheme for an NFL type scheme. Bringing in Marvin Lewis, you'll recognize him. The old Bengals coach uh, is taking over at defensive coordinator. So. Some staff change, some star power change, uh with you know Benjamin and Brandon Ayuk gone. But uh but still I think a strong enough team that could push for eight, nine, ten wins.
0: So, Stanford had a great run. Three Rose Bowls in the first five years for Shaw there in his tenure. He had five double digit win seasons in the first six years, but the last three haven't been the same. They haven't even really been close uh, 22 and 17 over the last three years. Is that coming back? Has the ship sailed and it's a transition in the North? What's going to happen with Stanford?
1: Yeah, I think uh, it's both things. Actually, I think that um, it's definitely a program transition. It's no longer your 2010 Stanford that was bullying teams around for seven yards of carry and just uh, you know ball control, big offensive line. Uh, that's all gone um, now. It, it was, it'll be better than last year for 2020. Last year they went through a ton of injuries at quarterback, at offensive line. Uh, I know they get three starters back that were injured during the season, offensive line wise. So it'll be a, a decent offensive line. Um, but on a higher level, yeah, this thing has kind of collapsed from what we saw. The, their window of opportunity, I think, is closed. Especially without working in Washington, are starting to recruit now in the north. Um, the difference being that the defense has really fallen off. Now that was always a steady unit uh, back under Derek Mason when he was at the at defensive coordinator. Uh, even in the early years of Lance Anderson, but once once Solomon Thomas left, I think it was twenty sixteen or seventeen. You saw this defensive line just really you know fall into itself as a you know, a shell of what it what it used to be, and um, they're getting pushed around week in and week out. And I think actually, you always see you always see transfers, but and it's usually younger guys. But I think two of their defensive line starters transferred. So weird stuff happening. I think seventeen transfers out of Stanford. So keep an eye on them as uh, as a total wild card this year. They'll be, they'll be better than nineteen, but this is no longer your top ten caliber. You know, annual North winner. Uh, that's that, that's certainly gone.
0: Well, Brett, we appreciate the overview of the Utes and the Cougars and the Pac-12. Thanks for uh, coming on for a few minutes.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, anytime. Um, appreciate all, you know, all the interactions with the BYU fans now on Twitter. I, I've been interacting with Utah for a while, but now adding BYU to, this, to the book has been great. Uh, just seeing these two fan bases go at it, I, I love it. I love the passion. You don't really see that on the, on the, on the coasts or in the pro city, so uh, a ton of respect for both fan bases.